which every time I think about it makes me cackle. <laughs> Slightly married. <laughs> oh boy. Welcome to Keep It Fictional, a weekly podcast for book lovers by book lovers. Build your to be read list with Sadie, Liz, Virginia, Fiona, and Corrine from the Port Moody Public Library. Warning. This podcast contains strong opinions and may cause an increase in your library holds list. Hello, everyone, and welcome to our 51st episode of Keep It Fictional. It's not usually that I can actually tell you exactly what number it is, but this time I can because we have just celebrated our 50th episode last week. And so thank you once again for all you listeners and viewers out there that comes in every week to share our book love. And just in case you haven't done so already, we are doing a prize draw to celebrate our 50th episode. So comment in the video or you can send us an email to askthelibrary at portmoody.ca. Tell us about a book that you read because of this podcast or video chat. Or tell us about your favorite Keep It Fictional moments or Keep It Fictional episode, and we will answer your name into the prize draw. So please do so before September 7th, and uh, we will pick a winner then. So again, thank you everyone for listening to us. And so we thought for the 51st episode, it would be appropriate to look ahead, to look forward, to see what our reading life will be like in the next few months. So we will be talking about books that are coming out this fall. Fall traditionally is a big publishing season. There's lots of good stuff. I know we say that every single season. There's lots of good stuff that comes out. But fall usually, lots of really big titles that come out. And this year is no different. We have a new Cosm Whitehead, Harlem Shuffle. It is supposed to involve a heist. So for the fellow heist lovers here, that might be a good one. Lauren Groff, Fates of Furies author, has a new book coming out called Matrix. A historical tale set in sort of like the crusade era about a princess that got casted out and now becomes the head of an abbey. So nuns, for my fellow nun lovers. <laughs> that sounds very wrong. There's also another Pulitzer Prize winner, Anthony Dorr, has a new book coming out called Cloud Cuckoo Land. You might recognize his name from a little book called All the Light We Cannot See that comes out a few years ago. A crowd favorite at Port Moody Public Library. I remember it took like over a year, more than a year before that book shows up on the shelves because every time it gets returned, it went to the next person on the waiting list or got snapped up almost right away. So this one should be interesting. It's about a long lost Greek manuscript, which turns up in a library on a spaceship. So a little bit different from what he wrote last time, I think. We also have a book about bookstore. We have Louise Erdrich, new book called The Sentence is about a bookstore clerk who is haunted by a ghost of a longtime regular customer. So that should be interesting. There's new Amor Toes, an author that Liz talked about before. There's new Sally Rooney. There is Louise Penny, 
and wait. You're like, wait, wait. Louise Penny's book came out already. That was August. But there are two. There's another book coming out called State of Terror, co-written with none other than Hillary Clinton. For anyone who loves thrillers out there, if that's your cup of tea, there is Apples Never Fall coming from Leanne Moriarty. Then you might have just finished watching the adaptation of her other book, Nine Perfect Strangers. So this might be up your alley. And of course, of course, there is, I know nothing about this book, but the title sounds great. Go Tell the Beast That I Am Gone, the next Outlander book. And, and, and let's not forget the 100 James Patterson that you can all read this fall. So, so many, so many to choose from. But of course, you have listened to us. You know all my book friends. We're not going to pick the obvious ones. Those are the obvious ones. We're going to find the gems, those special ones for you. So all of us have chosen five books for today. And this is a two-parter. So we're going to talk about three books today. And then next week, please do join us for part two, where we will talk about the rest of our books. So book friends, I'm super excited about this fall and I'm pretty sure you all are too. We are going to go to Corrine and see what is the first book she is going to tell us about. As Virginia pointed out, this is always a bit of a struggle because there's so much coming out in September and so many different genres that you want to promote and so many genres that you want to recommend. So choosing Choosing five out of the thousand is a bit tricky. So for my very first pick, I decided to go with something that's kind of near and dear to my heart, which is the mystery genre. And even beyond that, an author whose work I have been enjoying so much this year, although technically not a new book, it is the first time that it is appearing in an English translation. And this is the third book from the Pushkin Vertigo series from Seishi Yokomizo, starring the, what is described as scruffy detective, which I kind of like, gives me a very like, um, cowboy bebop vibe, big hair, big hair. And this is the third one featuring the detective Kosuke Kindaichi. Uh, the first two are absolutely excellent. If you like kind of like a golden age locked room mystery where all the clues, all the dominoes are set up and then you just watch them fall one by one as the detective reveals it. Um, the two books that are out are absolutely wonderful. And the third one looks to be another great classic as well. And it starts in kind of like mist shrouded mountains in 16th century Japan. A group of eight samurai escape with a mysterious treasure. They travel through the mountainside until they come to a small village. There they kind of take refuge, but soon they realize that the refuge is not safe for them. As the inhabitants of the villain murder all the samurais and take the treasure, which leaves a terrible curse upon the village. Centuries later, a mysterious young man named Tatsuya arrives in this small village. However, his arrival is precipitated by a spate of poisonings, a pack of poisonings, a cluster of poisonings, as soon as he arrives. And only our scruffy detective can solve this mystery. Love a story that connects something that happened in the past to something that happens in the present. It looks to be another kind of twisty, turny, 
classic mystery with uh, a lovable, endearing detective. So I am very much looking forward to The Village of Eight Graves, the third in this fantastic series. Thank you, Miss Corrine. I feel like every time they're going to have a new book come out, you're going to talk about it. I am. I'm set. I'm set. <laughs> and I also feel like they have such great covers. It looks so good on the bookshelf, right? Just like, for that. Look at the spine design. Like, it just looks great. And then, like, these beautiful graphics. Like, mm, 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 mm. So good. All right. From a very classic Corrine pick, we're going to go to Fiona. What have you got for us? All right. I am super excited about this one. And it is compliments of Virginia who brought it to my attention. I have chosen A Clash of Steel by C.B. Lee. And this is a Treasure Island remix. So I love Treasure Island, but generally prefer adaptations. (laughs) The source material is not fantastic, but everything that comes from Treasure Island is great. And this one in particular uh, just sounds like a really exciting sort of different approach to it. It's about a young woman during sort of the height of piracy and she lives with her entrepreneurial mother uh, and her father was lost at sea and all that she has left with him is a locket that was his and one day another young woman steals that locket from her and then when she realizes that she can't decode the secret map that is inside of the locket actually goes back and asks for her help. So these two girls are going to be going on a exciting adventure together on the high seas. There's talk of a pirate queen uh, known only as the head of the dragon, which sounds pretty exciting. Yeah, I just, I can't wait. I love journeys on the high seas. I love treasure hunts. And then to have a female perspective is going to be really cool looking forward to that one a lot treasure island is definitely one thing that also get mentioned a lot on this show so go back to find that episode where fiona told us that black cells is the prequel to treasure island and also our little debate about treasure island and the muppets (laughs) all right uh liz what have you got for us what are you looking forward to reading this fall So my first pick for our fall most anticipated reads episode is sort of not in my wheelhouse, but kind of is. And you'll find out why in just a moment. It's called Ski Weekend, and it is by Rec Talk Ross. Now, that is a pen name for uh, an author new to the YA genre, um, and they used to be a former IT lawyer. So a bit of a career switch for them. And I'm kind of excited about this one because it takes me back to my tween and teen years when I absolutely devoured the novels of Christopher Pike with great names like Bury Me Deep and Die Softly, Slumber Party, Fall Into Darkness, Remember Me, Give Me a Kiss, like come on that's like pure teen pulp right there. So I'm pretty excited about this one because it promises to be a rip-roaring YA thriller. So the premise of this story, Ski Weekend, is that a group of teens is trapped in the woods 
when their vehicle sort of has swerved off the road into a snowbank in the middle of a snowstorm. Now, there is no cell phone service, of course, because what kind of a thriller would it be if you could just call for help? So the group of teens hope that they will be found before their food, as well as their fuel, which is heating their car, which they're staying in, runs out. Now, we've got a diverse group of characters promised, and they are in an enclosed space in a dire situation that is getting more precarious by the moment. So, of course, what could go wrong, right? The publisher promises a dark finale. I hope they don't let me down on this one because this has a lot of elements that will make for interesting character studies, interesting um, looks at how people deal with crisis, especially when they are in an enclosed space with other people who they normally like. So fingers crossed that Ski Weekend by Rector Ross lives up to the books of some of my team favorites. More things we learn about each other. <laughs> Didn't, wouldn't have thought just based on what you're reading right now. So I don't know how Christopher Pike could be emotionally evocative, but hey. How dare you? You feel all of the emotions with Christopher. The fears, the highs, the love, the lows. It was all about the emotion, wasn't it, Liz? It was a thrill ride. Absolute thrill ride. Sure. <laughs> sure. <laughs> all right, Sadie. Do we have also a dark pick? I heard something about dark earlier. Yes. Yeah, so I uh, was telling my book friends earlier that this fall, I am very much looking forward to atmospheric reads. So I am looking forward to dark, drizzly, cold, rainy nights where you are nice and cozy and warm inside and maybe reading something that's a little bit spooky that might have something to do with death. So I think that the theme, if we were going to pick a theme for my books this fall, it would be death, which is a very odd theme for me. Um, if you know, if you've listened to this podcast and know a bit about my reading habits, death does not always come into play in a lot of the books that I read. But the first book, it is a bit more of a typical Sadie pick, even though it does have a strong connection to death. So this book is called The Keeper of the Night by Kylie Lee Baker. And this book tells the story of Wren and Wren lives in London and they are a half British Reaper and a half Japanese Shinigami. Now I looked up this term because I was not familiar with it. So a Shinigami are gods or supernatural spirits that invite humans towards death in certain aspects of Japanese religion and culture. Uh, so our lead protagonist uh, kind of lives these two lives, but they have been living in London for many years and they have been responsible for collecting the souls of the dead in London for many years. However, there is quite a distinct hierarchy that comes into play in the British Reaper system. And Wren struggles to sort of find her place in this hierarchy. She always feels like she is trying to prove herself to the other Reapers. She always feels like she doesn't quite belong in this world. And as her Shinigami half starts to 
become more apparent and starts to grow and get stronger, she finds that this divide also starts to grow. And eventually she finds that she needs to leave London. So she decides that she's going to go to Japan to try and learn a little bit more about her Shinigami half of herself and learn more about what that means for her and maybe find a place where she actually does fit. However, when she gets to Japan, she finds that she feels just as much as an outsider there. She wants to serve death. She wants to be a, a good kind of contribution to this system, but she still is finding that she's constantly having to prove herself. That is until she is given this sort of impossible task. Uh, the task involves three dangerous yokai demons. Yokai are another class of supernatural entities and spirits in Japanese folklore. These three demons are very, very powerful, very, very dangerous. And her job is to track them down and eliminate them. So now Ren has to figure out how far she is willing to go, how much she is willing to sacrifice uh, in her task to find that place where she belongs. Um, this story kind of was a bit reminiscent in the in the um, description of the Shadow of the Fox series by Julie Kagawa, um, kind of bringing in that Japanese uh, history and Japanese folklore, which I've read a little bit about, but I'm really, really excited to, to learn more about and to read more about. And it does have to do with death. So who knows what will happen in, in this world uh, surrounded by death, but it feels like it's going to be a really atmospheric, really strong and really exciting pick as uh, the weather gets a little gloomier, the rain starts to fall and my all-time favorite time of year comes. Thank you, Sadie. That sounds amazing. Double death, Reaper and Shinigami. Double death. Right? So Double good. death. So good. <laughs> right? Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> All right. Um, so for my first pick, it is like Corinne said, super uh, agonizing, agonizing to pick like five books out of all the books. Um, but I was lucky to read some of these already. And so I'm like wholeheartedly recommending these. And the first one that I'm going to talk about is one that I know is going to claim a spot on this list because it is a book that I feel like everybody should read. And I'm going to call this book, This Year's The House in the Cerulean Sea which is wild and a bold statement because TJ Klune himself has a book coming out this September called Under the Whispering Door. Is this the way for me to sneak another book in? Yes, it is. And only TJ Klune could make a story about a selfish, mean-spirited lawyer and dead, no less, a story of an unlikable dead guy into some heartwarming, heartbreaking kind of story. It is so good. It is so good. Everybody needs to read that. But I'm still going to call this next book The House in the Cerulean Sea of 2021 because it surprised me. It surprised me of how much feelings that I felt from this book, feelings that I don't even know that I have anymore in my dark, dark heart. So I think this book is just so, so many views. And it is actually a book recommended by TJ Klune himself. Like, you know, when asked, what is a book that you're looking forward to read? He said this book. So I picked it up right away and it is fantastic. And it is called Light from Uncommon Stars by Rika Aoki. 
this is a story that surrounds three different main characters. We have Shizuka Satomi, who is a legendary violent teacher and mentor. All her students went on to become world-renowned violinists. But unknown to the world is that Shizuka has actually made a pact with the devil. Everything that she has is because she has promised to deliver seven souls to hell. And she's done six of them already. So this is her seventh. And she wants this one to be spectacular. She wants this one to be the best that surpassed all the souls that has been delivered. So she's looking for her next protege. Enter Katrina. Katrina is a runaway. She has ran away from home because she is done with the abuse that she gets. She is tired of her family refusing to acknowledge her identity, continue to call her by her dead name, and she's just done. So she decided to run away and go and live with some people that she kind of know. And the only thing she's got that she cares about is her violin. It's a cheap violin and most like serious violinists was probably going to laugh at her because this is like something that she bought off on eBay. So it's not in the best condition, but this is what she has. And music is what she has got. She's self-taught, never had money to pay for violin lessons. And she doesn't play classical music. She plays video game music. And this is all, all she's got. But the people that she's living with now are not really quite who she thinks they are. And so now she's discovering that and she kind of needs to run away again and she really has nowhere to go. So one day she was just hanging out in the park, playing her music in the same park is Shizuka. And when Shizuka hears this music, she needs to know where does this music come from? Who is playing it? Because she can hear that there's something super special in this player. And even though Shizuka is on a date right now, she's just like, whatever, I'm just going to go. I need to find out what this music is. And she's on a date with Lan. And Lan is a owner of a donut shop. She's a mother of four. When Shizuka first met Lan, she could tell that there's something very calming about Lan. There's something very different. And this is a special human being. She's not like any others. And that is true because Lan is not like any other human being because she's not human. She's actually an alien. Her family is a family of refugees that have escaped to Earth from a galactic war. And now they're trying to make a living by selling donuts. But the donuts that they made are not quite... Right. Like, I mean, it looks fine. You know, it's kind of almost textbook, but there's just something missing. Well, because these donuts are coming out from a replicator. They're not really from a fryer. So there must be something that humans put in these donuts that is a little different that make them a little bit special. And I can see that everybody's like, what are you talking about? Packed with a devil? Aliens? Like, what? But trust me, this is such a warm story about belonging, about finding healing and finding friends, finding family in places that you don't expect 
back to half. And I think one of the things that make this story great is that it doesn't sugarcoat, it doesn't shy away from some of the horrible things that is in this world. Like it talks a lot about the transphobia prejudices that Katrina goes through every day, but yet it is still a very hopeful and life affirming story. And it's like the title of the the story. It really is this beacon of light and, and this warm that you just want to gather around. It is such a wonderful story. And like I said, just like the house in the Cerulean Sea. So if you enjoy those feelings that you get from that book, please check this one out. It is Light from Uncommon Stars and it is by Rika Aoki. All right. Round two. Round two. Corinne is ready. Go for it, Corinne. I'm ready. And I'm ready actually to continue your light theme. There's a lot of really good books with the word light in the title this season. Uh, Virginia and I were talking yesterday about that, and it seems kind of kind of strange because um, that book that Virginia described was also on my radar because it was described as Good Omens meets Becky Chambers. And I was like, ah, I know you shake your head, Virginia. But for me, that was that was an appeal. That was an appeal. For you, maybe not so. And funnily enough, this particular book, I believe, has also been blurred by TJ Klune. So the Venn diagrams are getting a little bit closer together with my next pick, which um, Alex Harrow, who wrote wrote the one and feature, which is kind of described it as mystery, exclamation point, magic, exclamation point, murder, exclamation point, and long looks full of yearning. So that is pretty much exactly what I am looking for in a book. So the second book that I am going to talk about is A Marvelous Light by Freya Marski. A beautiful cover, gorgeous cover. It has also been kind of described as red, white, and royal blue mates Jonathan Strange and Mr. Norrell. I'm also into that comparison. That kind of really works for me. I'm getting very Watchmaker of Filigree Street vibes from it, so I'm, I'm really excited for this one. Um, as I said, it takes place in Edwardian England, and it is about Robin Blythe. And Robin Blythe is really just trying to do a good job. He is trying to be a really good older brother. He is trying to be a responsible employer. And he is trying to take care of the baronet that was kind of gutted by his late parents' excesses. He is just trying to be good and get everything done the way it should be. However, a clerical error kind of throws his entire life upside down when he is appointed to be the civil service liaison to the hidden magical society that's been going on in England for hundreds of years that he's never known about, as it happens. So his very ordinary plotting life gets kind of turned upside down with the extraordinary world of magic that was with him all along. And He's kind of interested in the beauty and the danger of magic. There's there's deathly curses and a terrible future that is promised. Um, but what is really the most stressful for him is that he has to work with his counterpart in the magical world, who is Edwin Corsi, who seems to hate him. He is constantly cold and prickly and bureaucratic to the extreme, and they just don't get along. But they're going to have to work together. Robin's predecessor, unfortunately, 
disappeared in a fairly suspicious way. And so they are going to have to work together to solve this mystery and reveal the truth behind all the stories. And I assume exchange lots of long looks full of yearning. So I am super excited for this book. I like the time period. I like all the comparisons that it's getting. And I love a, a long look. So, oh, because I'm not doing my proper smolder though. I mean, and it's hard for those who are listening to this particular podcast to, to kind of really truly feel my smolder, but it's it's there. It's there. <laughs> I'm just gonna let you long look some more. <laughs> yeah, it's it's everything that I love. It's everything that I love. So I I have I'm really excited. Someone described it as high caliber fan fiction, and I'm like, yeah, <laughs> perfect. Perfect. Thank you got a good magic system i feel like sadie you might actually enjoy it too i wrote it down yeah titles titles on my on my little sheet beside me that i'm <laughs> writing down my my next list of anticipated fall reads that i have now gathered from this podcast well, i think we do have an episode coming up that's like we're supposed to read a book from one of our book friends right so that could be very well be one of those oh yeah all right fiona what have you got all right i have another book that's kind of compliments of a book friend because it was Liz who brought me to Ruth Ozeki. So my next pick is The Book of Form and Emptiness, which is a fantastic title that tells you so little about what it is about. This book is about Benny O, whose father has recently passed away. And after he loses his beloved father, he finds that he begins to hear voices. These voices are not coming from nowhere. They are coming from the everyday objects around him in his home. He can't necessarily understand what it is that they're saying, but he definitely gets emotions that they're conveying. Eventually, he finds that it's not just inside his house. It's outside of his house as well. Objects everywhere are speaking to him, and it is becoming a problem. It's very overwhelming for Benny. Eventually, he finds refuge in the library. Always something that I love to read about. And in the library, the objects are a little more considerate. They know how to keep order and use a quiet voice. So this becomes a comfortable place for Benny. And it sounds like uh, he reads, meets kind of a ragtag group of different fun characters. So that is definitely something I enjoy in a book is just fun, random characters and building those relationships between them. I think there's going to be a romance in it. And to be honest, it, it doesn't really matter to me so much about the subject material because I am just so excited to hear Ruth Ozeki's voice again. It's always so unique and odd and upsetting but life-affirming, which, you know, I kind of like that roller coaster in a book. So very much looking forward to The Book of Form and Emptiness, Ruth Ozeki's most recent book. Are you going to do the audiobook or the bookity book? Oh, gotta wait longer for the audiobook, but is it worth it? I don't know. Time will tell. The last, the tale for the time being, did you listen to it or did you read it? I listened to it and it was such a fantastic okay. audiobook. Oh, I think I'll see whether she narrates it. If she does her own narration, then it's got to be the audiobook. She's so great. 
Splendid. All right. I like also that it's a book that came came from the podcast, came from a, a Liz recommendation. All right. Now, if I remember where alphabetical order goes next, I think it's Liz. Good job, Corinne. Good job. <laughs> okay. So for my second pick for this episode, uh, again, going a bit out of the box for me. Haha. And this one is by somebody named Brent Spiner. And if that name is familiar to you, you may recognize him as being an actor who was on one of the most popular TV franchises ever known to man. And that is Star Trek, specifically The Next Generation. So Brent Spiner played Data, the android, and he is coming out with his first book, maybe? in October, and it is called Fan Fiction, a memoir inspired by true events. Okay, well, now this book is set in 1991, and the popularity of Star Trek The Next Generation has just skyrocketed. It has become an absolute hit. But then one day, Mr. Spiner receives a package and subsequently some letters from a crazed fan that endanger both him and his career. Now, along the way, we are going to be introduced to many characters, some fictional, some real, like Patrick Stewart or Sir Patrick Stewart, LeVar Burton, Jonathan Frakes, basically his cast members, um, and maybe some, also some other celebrities. This one really piqued my interest because it has been billed as a memoir-mystery hybrid with a bit of dirt thrown in, um, you know, from, from his acting days. Uh, this is an homage to fandom, including the perks and also the misgivings that can come with it, uh, as one can imagine, especially when you are part of a legendary franchise where people pretty much live and breathe this stuff. They'll dress up as if they're your cast member. They will claim to be part of the cast because as they do, um, they'll go and see you at conventions 20, 25, 30, 35 years after the series has ended, um, which is kind of, as Corinne would say, that's wild. So really looking forward to this one, a bit of a throwback to a television show that I enjoyed watching. Yes, you're learning all sorts of things about me today. Uh, so hopefully this one doesn't disappoint. That is fan fiction, a memoir inspired by true events by Brent Spiner. Thank you, Liz. I heard that they are really, really good friends. So I think it would be a really fun one because it's like a nice friend, big family. So I feel like it would be a good, nice thing. So yeah, I feel it would be good natured, um, but hopefully a little dirt as well. Maybe. All right, Sadie. You're up. All right. For my next pick, I am going, uh, this is the only one on my list that is by an author that I have already read. And this author, I have talked about her books before. Uh, the Winter Sea is one of my favorite books by her. And this book is actually touted as a prequel to The Winter Sea. So this book is going to take us to Scotland, which is where The Winter Sea takes place. From what I can tell, a strictly historical fiction. So this author's books will often have stories that take place in the present day, as well as a storyline that takes place in the past. From what I can tell, this one just takes place in the past, although jumps around to a few different timelines within that. Um, so this is The Vanished Days 
by Susanna Kearsley. And it takes us to Scotland during one of my favorite times in history. It's not necessarily a happy time of history. It's quite a bloody time of history, but uh, it is one of the parts of Scottish history that I find quite fascinating, um, largely in part to Diana Gabaldon's Outlander series. One of the parts of that series that I loved the most was revolving around the Jacobite Revolution. And so the Jacobite Revolution, there's a few different uh, times where this has come up in Scottish history. And essentially it is the Scottish people trying to get a Scottish king back on the throne, trying to get the British king off the throne and the Scottish king back onto the throne. And this follows the Stuart line. So Charles Stuart, who was sort of the youngest of the Stuart line, and that's sort of where the Jacobite revolution ended, was after his failed attempt to get back onto the throne. But our story in the vanished days takes us a little bit before that. So it takes us back to 1707, when the idea of getting uh, Bonnie Prince Charlie back onto the throne is just in the beginnings of planning. And uh, it takes us to kind of a time where the people of the Highlands are trying to figure out how they can protest this new union that they have with England. The French are trying to launch an invasion, trying to get Bonnie Prince Charlie back onto the throne. And there's just a lot happening politically, a lot happening kind of in this time of uh, kind of time in the world, place in the world. Um, and so the story is set in, in that time. Uh, the specific stories that it's going to tell involves a young widow uh, who is trying to collect her husband's wages when her claim is challenged. It also tells the story of Queen Anne's commissioners who are trying to calm down the situation uh, that is going on and have begun paying money going up to London to try and figure out exactly what's going on in this um, in this part of the world. So it's a lot of intrigue, a lot of kind of royalty, um, a lot of those kinds of stories. And I'm just really excited to kind of see where Susanna Kearsley takes this story, kind of who her protagonists are going to be. It does say that it draws in storylines and characters from the Winter Sea. Uh, so I'm curious how she does that as well. Um, the Winter Sea, I believe, took place a little bit before this in the timeline. I believe it took place during the first Jacobite rising um, when they were trying to get Prince Charlie's father back on the throne. So going to jump around, I think, a little bit in history, uh, but I'm really, really excited to kind of delve back into the Scottish history where when I was on the tour bus, they turned on the Jacobite story at the end of the tour when everyone was falling asleep. And I'm pretty sure I was the only one who stayed awake and actually listened to the entire thing. <laughs> so I'm very excited to go back into that history with The Vanished Days by Susanna Kearsley. Thank you, Sadie. I think you, out of all of us, you're definitely like so dedicated to your offers that you love. You don't miss any books mm -hmm. from them. So. I try not to. <laughs> so my next book is This Thing Between Us, and it is by Gus Morano. I'm going to try my best to talk about this book without crying my head off. This book broke me. Like every time I think about this book, I feel a sharp pain. 
And it's one of those books that's very weird because most of the time when I when I pick up a book, it's because something really intriguing about the premise, right? And then they often try to sell you something interesting when they do the book blurb. And often when I'm reading a book, I'll be like waiting for that thing to happen. It's like watching a trailer when you're trying to like wait for that cinematic moment to happen. And you're just like sitting there waiting, right? And sometimes I'm like, well, maybe the book isn't that good if you're like just waiting for this one thing to happen. But this book was completely the opposite. I was attracted to this book because it promised me that there's going to be a haunted smart speaker. And I'm like, sign me up. Horror and technology together. Yes, please. But once the book started, I was so taken by what's going on and what Gus Morano was describing with the main character, Tiago, that I forgot completely about the smart speaker. I don't even care if that never shows up. When we first met Tiago, his wife, Vera, has died. And it was a accident kind of out of nowhere type kind of death. So Tiago, of course, is like, doesn't know what to do. And he found himself bombarded by all these trivial and pointless things, like arranging for the funeral, for example. And he's like, I don't, like, he doesn't even care. He let his in-laws deal with it, even though he thinks that Vera probably won't like the way they are arranging this funeral, but he just, he just doesn't have the energy to deal with that. Not only that, there's all the people, everybody has some wisdom for him, telling him how to deal with his grief, telling him about death, about life, about mourning, about hope and all that stuff. And he has, he, he wants nothing to do with that. And as he pointed out, it's like everybody thinks that their simulation of losing their spouse is the same as his real loss. And then there's Vera's friends who want him to now be Vera, to stand in for her and keep telling him like, oh, Vera would love this. Oh, you know, remember Vera was such a whatever. And every single thing that they said is like they're all trying to define Vera when none of those words and none of those descriptors were ever applied to Vera. But they're all just trying to like paint the picture of who Vera is. And of course, then there's the circumstances of her death. It has blown up into this big news story because of what happened to her. And all the politicians is basically using Vera as sort of a symbol, as like a, a caution tale of why they should support whatever side it is that their platform is on. And so with all of that going on, Tiago is just trying to like, just wanted to be left to himself, just trying to deal with what's what what is left for him. And then there is their condo. Their condo has always have been having weird things that happened. There are spots that would be super cold for no reason. There's scratching noises that come from within the walls. And one second it will be on the left, and then suddenly the next second it will be all the way over there in another spot. And so there's just these weird noises coming. And then there is the Itza, their smart speaker, which will play like random music at random times, which is not unusual. You know, they always think that there's like, you know, the, the smart speaker listening to you and kind of thing. They will hear the Itzas doing weird conversations, just conversations in empty rooms, answering questions that, you know, like there's nobody asking any questions. There's nobody there, but you like, they'll be having this conversation with something. And then all the weird purchases that 
it's a decided that they need, including a book on how to contact the dead and some industrial lie and all sorts of weird stuff. Those were kind of funny anecdotes, you know, at a party when when Vera was still alive because they can say, oh, you know, look at what my Itza did, you know, the other day. But once Vera is dead, this is no longer funny. And and he realized that there's all sorts of things happening to him and he doesn't know where to go. He has nowhere to go and he has nowhere to hide. And everything is adding to his rage, his guilt, his anxiety of being alive when Vera is dead. And he's just being haunted by something and everything and he doesn't know what to do. This is definitely a book for anyone who loves psychological horror. And I I thought about this book when I prepared for this podcast. I'm just like, should I want to talk about something like so, like, I don't know, like it's it's, to me, it's just like I said, it it broke me. But I think it's, it's, it's really, again, another example of what horror is. If you think you know what horror is, there are so many different types out there. And this one is so much more about just like scary things that happen. And it's definitely scary. It's frightening because there is nowhere, like I said, nowhere Tiago can go to escape from this. He tried all sorts of different things and just something is following him. But I am also just so amazed at how Gus Morano talk about grief and just the way he described it. And I think partly it's because I do identify with Tiago, like his personality. And, and so I feel like the way he talks about his grief is kind of how I would react and how I have reacted when I'm in sort of similar circumstances. So it was just like a really powerful book and it was just, it hurts reading this. Um, and I will just leave you with this last paragraph you, and you'll get the idea of why this is so this, this impacts a reader so much. This is the um, a scene in the book where it said, an owl flew over the cabin and swept into the tree line. I step aside for you to see and then remember that you are dead. And that's the kind of moments in this book. And it's just full of these observations of what grief does to people. And I think this is just an amazing, amazing horror book, not just because it's a great horror, but I think there's just something so special about a book that can talk about a lot of other things while being like a scary, scary novel. So please do give this book a try, even though this is, um, like I said, it's a, it's a hard book to read, but it is just so amazing. It is called This Thing Between Us and it's by Gus Morano. All right, somebody needs to start talking because I can't anymore. (laughs) (sighs) Okay, it's an awesome book, but I know it's not a book for everybody, but it's awesome. It's amazing. But I'm glad that you talked about it because I think people often try to pigeonhole genre writing as being one type of story. And obviously this this is using a particular genre to tell a really big story. So thank you for bringing it to our attention. All right, Corinne. Bring us up. Bring us up. Is it back to me again? Pick. I don't know. <laughs> okay. Okay. I feel, I feel bad after following that. Like, I feel like we should all take a moment. Everyone should have like a cup of tea. Maybe, maybe relax a little, get cozy. Um, okay. I'm looking over my picks of like, now how do, how do I respect what you have said and go into another book? And unfortunately, my next pick was... <laughs> Boy. My next book is How to Marry Keanu Reeves in 90 Days. 
so to violently change the subject, um, I'm going to take us to a different genre, which is romance. And I chose this book mostly because of the title. Um, there are two greatly titled romance books coming out this fall. One of them is How to Marry Keanu Reeves in 90 Days. And the other one is Slightly Married, which every time I think about it makes me cackle. <laughs> Slightly Married. <laughs> oh, boy. But um, this actually kind of links into Liz's book, which is about parasocial relationships with famous people, which can either be very interesting to look at like the psychology behind that or really awkward um, when people think that they have a relationship with famous people. And I'm not quite sure where this one is going to fall. Um, it's about Bethany Lou Carlisle, who is devastated, is gutted, is utterly destroyed when she reads in a tabloid that her perfect boyfriend, Keanu Reeves, is engaged to be married. The problem with this is, is that Keanu Reeves is her soulmate. He just doesn't know it yet. So. Lou embarks on a cross-country road trip with her best friend, Truman Erickson, to find Keanu Reeves and to convince him to stop the wedding because he will always regret it because his true soulmate, his undying love, is her. Or maybe her true love is riding beside her in the car the entire time. Now, unfortunately, the particular cover doesn't have the gentleman involved in this particular romance. It has the dog. So when I first read the description, I actually thought, <laughs> I actually thought she was talking about the dog. <laughs> and I was really confused. <laughs> like, well, that's, a, that's like a beautiful, there's not enough beautiful stories about people and their pets, but Usually if it's, uh, you know what, I'm just going to stop while I'm ahead. Usually a romance doesn't, that doesn't factor in, but I'm pretty sure that she's driving, that Truman is a person and that's where the love story is. I don't know where, when, where, or if Keanu Reeves is going to show up in this. I always love a Keanu Reeves cameo. What was it? Always be my maybe the Ali Wong film was exquisite, exquisite. And so I'm kind of excited to see where K.M. Jackson takes this. She's a fantastic Black romance author. So I'm, I'm looking forward to this in a big way. And maybe even just like getting the cover framed somewhere for my room to look at it and bring me joy every day. So yes, that is how to... <laughs> sorry, I can't even say it without laughing. How to marry Keanu Reeves in 90 days. And are we sure this wasn't ghostwritten by Ali Wong? Because in her memoir, she said that she specifically like just just put him in that movie uh, because she wanted to kiss him. It was just like a whole like thing. She is a genius. She's a genius. She just kind of shopped around and said, who do I want to make out with? And then cast them like genius, genius. His part was brilliant in that movie though. Absolute. Like apart from the kissing, it was absolutely brilliant in that movie. He was a delight, but it's a testament to how good the other actors were that I was still like, I don't want her to end up with Keanu Reeves. Mm -hmm. <laughs> I'm just going to request, Corinne, if you do put it in the office, can you add Keanu Reeves to the cover? Because he's also missing. He, and I'm sure for very specific copyright and rights clearance reasons, he is not on that cover. But I feel like there should at least be another human on it. Okay, I'll see what I can do with my, 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 my Photoshop skills. Perfect, perfect. 
All right, Fiona, do you have Keanu Reeves? Anything related to Keanu Reeves? I think that is the round. That is a requirement. I, I missed the boat on that one. Nothing related to Keanu Reeves. <laughs> um, so I have chosen a book by an author that I recently talked about. It is Act Cool by Tobles McSmith. I recently talked about his debut novel, Stay Gold, which I enjoyed a lot. This book follows August, who is a trans teen, a trans masculine teen, living in a religious household where he is not allowed to transition. And he's dealing with suicidal ideation related to this, but he has an opportunity to get out. He goes to New York, where his lesbian aunt lives, and auditions for the prestigious performing arts school. Believe it or not, he gets in to study his true love of acting. His parents reluctantly agree uh, that he can stay there if he agrees not to transition. And the punishment will be conversion therapy. Uh, so it's definitely going to be a heavy book uh, and an issues book. In the past, Tobley McSmith has taken difficult topics really head on. So they're definitely trigger warnings for sure. But if you're looking for a smart, own voice discussion of trans issues, Tobley McSmith is a great author. It also looks like it's going to discuss sort of the issue of, of casting who can play what role and I'm really excited about that because I think that's a really really great thing to take a look at and in his last book he sort of looked at whether as a trans person you need to be out and supporting your community or whether you can be closeted and 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 safe and balancing those two things so I'm really excited for this sort of like very balanced look at casting because August's approach is that he can play any role. And part of the deal with his parents is that he can't play male roles. So he's actually super excited when he gets cast as Rizzo in Greece, which is such an awesome role. And then eventually finds that all of these different roles are sort of confusing to be, to be playing all of these different roles and and realize he doesn't really have a grasp on who he actually is um so it sounds like a really interesting character and it's always fun to have a like new in new york uh storyline i love those sort of like small town come into the big city uh and i think that uh, august is going to also meet a fun cast of characters. So really looking forward to that one. It's a YA, uh, and I think the main character is like around age 16. If you are a real life YA reader, which is one of my favorites, uh, it'll be one to check out. That is Act Cool by Tobley McSmith. Thank you, Fiona. That sounds like a fairy Fiona book. And I love all your books today have been related to like some past episodes. Maybe that will prompt somebody to go go back to our past episodes. Yeah, I think like Sadie kind of stick into my authors. It's a little safer. All right, Liz. Okay, well, I've got one that might be a bit more of a Liz book. I don't know how I feel about that. Because this one's a bit dark. Feels like it's going to be a bit harrowing, a bit emotionally evocative. 
This one is called Trashlands, and it's by an author named Alison Stein, who is a Philip K. Dick Award winner. Uh, so we've got a bit of a futuristic, um, apocalyptic landscape. Now it's set in a uh, unspecified near future, and Earth has been ravaged by climate change. Plastic has actually become a commodity. Apparently, plastic manufacturers have been uh, told to stop making new plastic, so finding plastic, scavenging, scavenging for it, and reselling it has become something that could be quite profitable. Now, Trashlands, the titular Trashlands is actually a strip club within a place called Scrapalatia. And it's sort of the hub of the characters that come and go within the story and their associations with each other and with the land. Now, if Scrapalatia kind of brings to mind Appalachia, apparently the author took her experience and knowledge of life and poverty and the social issues within real life Appalachia and has applied this uh, to her story. So by all accounts, this is, this is not a lighthearted read. It is not necessarily an optimistic read, but not really knowing a lot about Appalachia and, and sort of uh, similar communities after the popularity of books like Hillbilly Elegy and people sort of taking more of a look at, at, at the social divide in cities in America and North America. I thought this sounded like an interesting take to sort of take that real life scenario and have this application of sort of this future consequences of the things that we are collectively doing um, on earth and how that can, those sort of social conditions that are within, that we think are contained within certain communities can very easily happen to any of our communities that we may live in. So a darker read, but hopefully an interesting character study in the face of adversity. That is Trashlands by Alison Stein. Thank you, Liz. I think like Fiona likes to say, fiction that are educational also that makes us think about stuff is the best kind. All right, Sadie, what have you got? For my next pick, this is unprecedented. This book, the second tag, not the first one, the second tag on Goodreads is horror. So this is a little bit outside of my usual reading preferences. I will see how horror it is when I actually read it. I can usually read horror adjacent, just not full horror. So we'll see. And this one does, the first tag is fantasy. So usually if there's a crossover between horror and fantasy or generally witches, and horror, I can usually handle it. So we will see how it is. Uh, so this one is called Another Light Book. Uh, this one is called The Lighthouse Witches by C.J. Cook. And we are staying in Scotland for this one. Uh, we're coming a bit forward in time. Uh, it doesn't give an actual time period, but I'm guessing it's not the 1700s. And this story tells two different timelines. It tells the story of Liv, who is a single mother, and she has been commissioned to paint a mural on this old, 100-year-old lighthouse, and it's on a remote Scottish island. Uh, she has three young daughters, 
and thinks that moving to this island, doing this uh, painting might be the perfect chance for her and her daughters to start a new life, kind of to start fresh and start over. When she gets to the island, um, she is warned that underneath the lighthouse that she is painting, there used to be a prison that was specifically used for women who were accused of witchcraft. Now, doesn't know if she really believes this, but the locals of the island warn her about this. They warn her about wildlings who are supernatural beings who mimic human children. These beings have been created by witches. They're dangerous. They must be killed. So Liv is, is a little bit hesitant, um, but still thinks that this is a great place uh, to restart her life. That is until two of her children, Sapphire and Clover, go missing doesn't know what happened, doesn't know where they have gone, they just disappear. We now jump ahead more than 20 years later and we meet Luna. Now Luna is the daughter that did not go missing. And for the last 20 years, Luna has been trying to find her sisters, has been trying to figure out what has happened to her sisters. When all of a sudden she gets a call about her youngest sister, Clover. Clover has been found. Now, Luna is excited. Luna doesn't know exactly what to think, but she's she wants to go and figure out uh, what happened, talk to Clover and figure out what exactly happened and where she has been for the last 20 years. That is until she meets Clover and realizes that she is not a grown-up version of her sister, as you would think would be. She is actually the seven-year-old version of her sister, the same age that she was when she went missing. So Luna, now who has been grown up and has been raised on stories of wildlings, is convinced that this version of Clover is not actually human, and she is in fact a wildling. So this is, I think, going to be a spooky story. I think I'm going to get my atmospheric read from this one. I might have to read it during the day when it's pouring rain outside, as opposed to at night when it's pouring rain outside, maybe put on some nice, happy comedy show afterwards uh, to make sure that I can sleep at night. But I am really excited for this one. Uh, It takes place in one of my favorite places to read about, which is Scotland. It kind of has that magical element to it, the witchy element to it. So what We'll see how the horror, how the horror aspect goes, and uh, I will let you all know how horror it turns out to be. So that was The Lighthouse Witches by C.J. Cook. Horror and death. What's happening, Sadie? I know. I, know. I don't know what's going on. <laughs> I think the summer has been really long, and I'm just like looking for less bright sunshine and more dark gloom. Agree. Totally agreed. <laughs> this just makes it feels like you've been in summer forever and ever yeah. and ever. So, yeah. Yeah. all right. So um, my last book, I switch it up because I feel like, okay, I need to follow up with another book with a light in the title and also follow up with this Keanu Reeves business, even though it has nothing to do with Keanu Reeves. But this book was promoted as The Matrix meets a Afrofuturistic retelling of Persephone 
So this is Destroyer of Light by Jennifer Marie Brissett. And trigger warning, um, this is a pretty difficult book to read. There is, even in the beginning of the book, it does have a warning for sexual assault and many other kind of violences. So this may not be a book for everybody. We follow sort of three main storylines in this book. And you know by now that I love the whole perspective hopping, the whole time hopping thing. So I love a story that is not linear. And so we have the story of, first of all, of Deidre um, and her daughter, Cora, and they have escaped basically and got themselves a place on the transport ship that takes them away from Earth that has been taken over by the aliens called the Kreska. And so they are now fleeing to the, a new planet called Eleusis. And because they don't have money and they don't have the status to earn themselves a spot, they have to pay for this voyage in a different way. As the humans settle on Eleusis, they had a chance to change the way society is, to change the way um, how we live. But instead, they just settle back into this class system where you have the haves and the have-nots. And so the planet basically are divided up into three areas. We have the area of day, which is where the rich people live. We have the area of dusk, which is where the people who are trying to make ends meet live. And then we have the night, which is where the insurgents live. And why are there insurgents? Because the aliens have actually follow them to the planet Eleusis. But this time, they are not there, or they, at least they say they're not there to destroy another home that they've got, but they want to live peacefully this time. They want to coexist. And of course, these aliens, the, the Kreska, they lived only in the rich area, and they have managed to sort of coexist with the humans, and some of them even form, form families together. But not everyone is so quick to forgive and forget. So we have the insurgents who are looking to build up an army, and they are being led by a ruthless leader called Adonius. And what he does is he basically raid all the villagers in dusk in order to gather up and kidnap children and make them into child soldiers. And that is how he's going to build up his army with a little bit of extra knowledge that he has of the Kreska, the aliens that you know nobody knows that he knows. And of course, one day when Cora and his classmates were walking to school, they were met by a group of insurgents and Cora was kidnapped. We also follow the stories of a pair of twins that have telepathic powers, John and Peter, and they have been hired by a rich family who is sort of a mixed family. The father is an alien, the mother is a human, and they have been hired to find their missing son. And we learn a lot about how the planet works and sort of the, the, the secrets and the lies that are kind of hiding in this society through this storyline. And last but not least, we have Stephanie. Stephanie is the lover of the ruthless leader, Adonius. Adonius adored her and he gives her everything that he has. But he also constantly remind him that she belongs to him, that everything that she has right now can be taken away just like that. 
there's something very special about Stephanie, and that's why Adonius is willing to kind of tolerate her. And with this special ability, Adonius might be able to make his plans to to get the aliens off the planet come real. But Stephanie doesn't quite know the kind of power that she has yet. And so through the story, she's going to discover that she herself holds this power that could change their world. What stands out right away when I read this book was that it was this beautiful writing. It was such good writing. And I love the narrative structure. It reminds me a little bit of like fifth season. It sort of got that kind of narrative. I I love how Jennifer Marie Brissett put that story together. And it is action-packed. It's got like really, it's really action-packed, but also very thoughtful kind of science fiction, because like all good science fiction do, it is really social commentary that is sort of set in a world very much unlike ours, but yet it is also very much like ours. So they're definitely taking this opportunity to explore a lot of the issues that we have in our own society. And this is a story of transformation. It's a story of trying to be more And as Charlie Jane Anders said, it really showcased, it's like a new golden age of science fiction, like, you know, what what science fiction can do. Before I go, I just have to put a PSA out there. Apparently, and, and this is, I went back to read the description like multiple times and nowhere in that description says that this is a second book in a series. And I just found that out yesterday when I was trying to prepare for this podcast. It didn't say anything about that at all. But when I was reading about more about this book, I realized that some people are saying that this is actually a second book. And I have a feeling it's because it's published by two different publishers. Maybe that's why they don't want to mention it. So there is a first book out there and I'm definitely going to go, go back and read it because it is it's a really good story. But I don't think having read the second book, just on its own, I don't think it matters that you miss out the other one. I think the other story centers more on the invasion part of the story. And I think there's enough background in this one that I don't know whether you really need it, you know, to enjoy the story. But just so that you know, this is apparently the second book. So um, once again, this is The Destroyer of Light, and it is by Jennifer Marie Brissett. That reveal at the end was shocking, Virginia. It was shocking to me too. Because I totally did not notice, or it doesn't, like I said, didn't really matter. But I'm just like, what? So yeah, I went back and read the description three times. Nothing, nothing in it said that this is a second book. I don't know why. Tor, answer me. Tell me why. Anyway, so those are our first 15 picks. I hope you have found some great stories that you are also looking forward to reading this fall in addition to your James Patterson book. Um, So we're really, really um, excited about the next 10. We have 10 more, 10 more, 10 more to go next week. So please tune in uh, so that we can tell you about more books that are coming out this fall. So in the meantime, um, for those of you who like the sun, enjoy the sun. For those of you who don't like the sun, look forward to the rain at some point. And we'll see you all next week. Thank you and bye-bye. Thank you for listening. If you like our show, please tell a fellow book lover about it. You can find a list of all the books we discussed in our show notes. Join us next week for another fun book chat. Until then, keep it fictional.
Thank you.